Section 23 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2, by Chiao Shuqing, translated by Henry Bancroft Jolie. Chapter 36, Part 2. Bao Chai was intent upon examining the embroidery, so in her absent-mindedness, she, with one bend of her body, settled herself on the very same spot, which Zhe had recently occupied. But she found, on second scrutiny, the work so really admirable that, impulsively picking up the needle, she continued it for her. At quite an unforeseen moment, for Lin Dayu had met Xi Xiangyun, and asked her to come along with her and present her congratulations to Zheren. These two girls made their appearance in the court. Finding the whole place plunged in silence, Xiang Yun turned around and betook herself first into the side rooms in search of Zheren. Lin Taiyu, meanwhile, walked up to the window from outside and peeped in through the gauze frame. At a glance, she espied Bao Yu, clad in a silvery red coat, lying carelessly on the bed. And Bao Chai, seated by his side, busy at some needlework with a fly brush resting by her side. As soon as Lin Da Yu became conscious of the situation, she immediately slipped out of sight, and stopping her mouth with one hand, as she did not venture to laugh aloud, she waved her other hand and beckoned to Xiang Yun. The moment Xiang Yun saw the way she went on, she concluded that she must have something new to impart to her, and she approached her with all promptitude. At the sight which opened itself before her eyes, she also felt inclined to laugh. Yet the sudden recollection of the kindness with which Bao Chai had always dealt towards her induced her to quickly seal her lips and knowing well enough that da yu never spared anyone with her mouth she was seized with such fear lest she should jeer at them that she immediately dragged her past the window come along she observed Jiren, i remember said that she would be going at noon to wash some clothes at the point i presume she's there already so let's go and join her. Dai Yu inwardly grasped her meaning, but after indulging in a couple of sardonic smiles, she had no alternative but to follow in her footsteps. Bao Chai had, during this while, managed to embroider two or three petals. When she heard Bao Yu begin to shout abusingly in his dreams, How can, he cried, one ever believe what bonzes and Taoist priests say? What about a match between gold and jade? My impression is that it's to be a union between a shrub and a stone. Xie Baochai caught every single word uttered by him and fell unconsciously in a state of excitement. Of a sudden, however, Zheren appeared on the scene. Hasn't he yet woke up? She inquired. Baochai nodded her head by way of reply. I just come across, Zheren smiled. 
Miss Lin and Miss Xi. Did they happen to come in? I didn't see them come in, Bao Chai answered. Did they tell you anything? She next smilingly asked of Zhe Ren. Zhe Ren blushed and laughed significantly. They simply came out with some of those jokes of theirs, she explained. What decent things could such as they have had to tell me? They made insinuations today, Bao Chai laughed, which are anything but a joke. I was on the point of telling you them when you rushed away in an awful hurry. But no sooner had she concluded than she perceived a servant come over from Lady Feng's part to fetch Jiren. It must be on account of what they hinted, Bao Chai smilingly added. Jiren could not therefore do otherwise than arouse two servant maids and go. She proceeded with Bao Chai out of the Yihong court and then repaired all along to Lady Feng's on this side. It was indeed to communicate to her what had been decided about her and to explain to her as well that though she could go and prostrate herself before Madame Wang, she could dispense with seeing Daoja Lady Jia. This news made Jiren feel very awkward, to such an extent that no sooner had she got through her visit to Madame Wang than she returned in a hurry to her rooms. Pao Yu had already awoke. He asked the reason why she had been called away, but Jiren temporized by giving him an evasive answer. And only at night, when everyone was quiet, did Jiren at length give him a full account of the whole matter. Pao Yu was delighted beyond measure. I'll see now, he said, with a face beaming with smiles, whether you will go back home or not. On your return after your last visit to your people, you stated that your brother wished to redeem you, adding that this place was no home for you, and that you didn't know what would become of you in the long run. You freely uttered all that language devoid of feeling and reason, and enough to to produce an estrangement between us, in order to frighten me. But I'd like to see who will henceforward have the audacity to come and ask you to leave. Jiren, upon hearing this, smiled a smile full of irony. You shouldn't say such things, she replied. From henceforward, I shall be our Madame Wang's servant, so that if I choose to go, I needn't even breathe a word to you. All I'll have to do will be to tell her, and then I shall be free to do as I like. But supposing that I behaved improperly, demurred Bao Yu laughingly, and that you took your leave after letting mother know, you yourself will be placed in no nice fix, when people get wind that you left on account of my having been improper. What no nice fix, smiled Jiren. Is it likely that I am bound to serve even highway robbers? Well, failing anything else, I can die. For human beings may live a hundred years, but they are bound, in the long run, to fall a victim to death. And when this breath shall have departed, and I shall have lost the sense of hearing and of seeing, all will then be well. When the rejoinder fell on his ear, Bao Yu promptly stopped her mouth with both his hands. Enough, 
Enough. That will do, he shouted. There is no necessity for you to utter language of this kind. Jian was well aware that Pao Yu was gifted with such a peculiar temperament that he even looked upon flattering or auspicious phrases with utter aversion, treating them as meaningless and consequently insincere. So, when after listening to those truths she had spoken with such pathos, he lapsed into another of his melancholy moods. She blamed herself for the want of consideration she had betrayed. Hastily, therefore, putting on a smile, she tried to hit upon some suitable remarks with which to interrupt the conversation. Her choice fell upon those licentious and immodest topics, which has ever been a relish to the taste of Bao Yu. And from these, the conversation drifted to the subject of womankind. But when subsequently reference was made to the excellency of the weak sex, they somehow or other also came to touch upon the mortal nature of women. And Jiren promptly closed her lips in silence. Noticing, however, that now that the conversation had reached upon so full of zest for him, she had nothing to say for herself. Pao Yu smilingly remarked, What human being is there that can escape death? But the main thing is to come to a proper end. All that those abject male creatures excel in is the civil officers who sacrifice their lives by remonstrating with the emperor and the military to leave their bones on the battlefield. Both these deaths do confer after life is extinct, the fame of great men upon them. But isn't it, in fact, better for them not to die? For as it is absolutely necessary that there should be a disorderly emperor before they can afford any ammunition, to what future fate do they thus expose their sovereign if they rashly throw away their lives with the sole aim of reaping a fair name for themselves? War, too, must supervene before they can fight. But if they go and recklessly lay down their lives with the exclusive idea of gaining the reputation of intrepid warriors, to what destiny will they abandon their country by and by? Hence, it is that neither of these deaths can be looked upon as a legitimate death. Loyal ministers, children argued, and excellent generals simply die because it isn't in their power to do otherwise. Military officers, Bao Yu explained, place such entire reliance upon brute force that they become lax in their stratagems and faulty in their plans. It's because they don't possess any inherent abilities that they lose their lives. Could one therefore pray say that they had no other alternative? Civil officials, on the other hand, can still less compare with military officers. They read a few passages from books and commit them to memory, and on the slightest mistake made by the emperor, they are at once rash enough to remonstrate with him. Prompted by the sole idea of attaining the fame of loyalty and devotion, but 
as soon as their stupid notions have bubbled over, they forfeit their lives. And is it likely that it doesn't lie within their power to do otherwise? Why, they should also bear in mind that the emperor receives his decrees from heaven, and that were he not a perfect man, heaven itself would, on no account whatever, confer upon him a charge so extremely onerous. This makes it evident, therefore, that the whole pack and parcel of those officers who are dead and gone have invariably fallen victims to their endeavors to attain a high reputation, and that they have no knowledge whatever of the import of the great principle of right. Take me as an instance now, where really mine, the good fortune of departing life at a fit time, I avail myself of the present when all you girls are alive, to pass away. And could I get you to shed such profuse tears for me as to swell out into a stream large enough to raise my corpse and carry it to some secluded place, whither no bird even has ever wended its flight? And could I become invisible like the wind, and never more from this time come into existence as a human being? I shall then have died at a proper season. Jiren certainly awoke to the fact that he was beginning to give vent to a lot of twaddle, and speedily pleading fatigue, she paid no further notice to him. This compelled Bao Yu to at last be quiet and go to sleep. By the morrow, all recollection of the discussion had vanished from his mind. One day, Bao Yu was feeling weary at heart after strolling all over the place. When remembering the song of the Peony Pavilion, he read it over twice to himself, but still his spirits continued anything but joyous. Having heard, however, that among the twelve girls in the Pear Fragrance Court, there was one called Ning Guan who excelled in singing, he purposely issued forth by a side gate, and came in search of her. But the moment he got there, he discovered Bao Guan and Yue Guan in the court. As soon as they caught sight of Bao Yu, they, with one consent, smiled and urged him to take a seat. Bao Yu then inquired where Ling Guan was. Both girls explained that she was in her room, so Bao Yu hastened in. Here he found Ling Guan alone reclining against a pillow, though perfectly conscious of his arrival, she did not move a muscle. Pao Yu ensconced himself next to her. He had always been in the habit of playing with the rest of the girls, so thinking that Ling Guan was like the others, he felt impelled to draw near her and to entreat her with a forced smile to get up and sing part of the Niao Qing Shi. But his hopes were baffled, for as soon as Ling Guan perceived him sit down, she impetuously raised herself and withdrew from his side. I'm hoarse, she rejoined with a stern expression on her face. The Empress the other day called us into the palace, but I couldn't sing even then. Seeing her sit bolt upright, Bao Yu went on to pass her under a minute survey. He discovered that it was the girl whom he had some time ago beheld under the cinnamon roses 
drawing the character Chiang. But seeing the reception she accorded him, who had never so far known what it was to be treated contemptuously by anyone, he blushed crimson, while muttering some abuse to himself, and felt constrained to quit the room. Bao Guan and her companion could not fathom why he was so red, and inquired of him the reason. Bao Yu told them. Wait a while, Bao Guan said, until Mr. Chiang Sequindus comes, and when he asks her to sing, she is bound to sing. Bao Yu at these words felt very sad within himself. Where's brother Chiang gone to? he asked. He's just gone out, Bao Guan answered. Of course, Ling Guan must have wanted something or other, and he's gone to devise ways and means to bring it to her. Bao Yu thought this remark very extraordinary, but after standing about for a while, he actually saw Jia Chang arrive from outside, carrying a cage with a tiny stage inserted at the top, and a bird as well, and went his steps in a gleeful mood towards the interior to join Ling Guan. The moment, however, he noticed Bao Yu, he felt under the necessity of halting. What kind of bird is that? Bao Yu asked. Can it hold a flat in its beak or do any tricks? It's the jay-crested and gold-headed bird, smiled Jia Chang. How much did you give for it? Bao Yu continued. A tail and eight maize, replied Jia Chang. But while replying to his inquiries, he mentioned to Bao Yu to take a seat and then went himself into Ling Guan's apartment. Bao Yu had, by this time, lost every wish of hearing a song. His sole desire was to find what relations existed between his cousin and Ling Guan. When he perceived Jia Chang walk in and lovingly say to her, Come and see this thing. Was it? Ling Guan asked, rising. I've bought a bird for you to amuse yourself with, Jia Chang added so that you mayn't daily feel dull and have nothing to distract yourself with. But I'll first play with it and let you see. With this prelude, he took a few seats and began to coax the bird, until it, in point of fact, performed various tricks on the stage, clasping in its beaks a mask and a flag. All the girls shouted out. How nice! With the sole exception of Ling Guan, who gave a couple of apathetic smirks, and went in a huff to lie down. Again, Jia Chang, however, kept on forcing smiles and inquiring of her whether she liked it or not. Isn't it enough, Ling Guan observed, that your family entraps a fine lot of human beings like us and coop us up in this hole to study this stuff and nonsense? But do you also now go and get a bird which likewise is, as it happens, up to this sort of thing. You distinctly fetch it to make fun of us and mimic us. And do you still ask me whether I like it or not? Hearing this reproach, Jia Chang, of a sudden, sprang to his feet with alacrity and vehemently endeavored by vowing and swearing to establish his innocence. However could I have been such a fool today, he proceeded, as to go and throw away a tail or two to purchase this bird. 
I really did it in the hope that it would afford you amusement. I never for a moment entertained such thoughts as those you credit me with. But never mind, I'll let it go and save you all this misery. So saying, he wearily gave the bird his liberty, and with one blow he smashed the cage to atoms. This bird, still argued Ling Guan, differs, is true, from a human being, but it too has a mother and father in its nest. And could you have had the heart to bring it here to perform these silly pranks? In coughing today, I expectorated two mouthfuls of blood, and Madame Wong sent someone here to find you so as to tell you to ask the doctor round to minutely diagnose my complaint. And have you instead brought this to mock me with? But it so happens that I, who have not a soul to look after me, or to care for me, also have the fate to fall ill. Jia Chang listened to her. Yesterday evening, he eagerly explained. I asked the doctor about it. He said that it was nothing at all, that you should take a few doses of medicine, and that he would be coming again in a day or two to see how you were getting on. But who'd have thought it? You have again today expectorated blood. I'll go at once and invite him to come round. Speaking the while, he was about to go immediately when Ling Guan cried out and stopped him. Do you go off in a tantrum in this hot, broiling sun? She said. You may ask him to come, but I won't see him. When he heard her resolution, Zhao Chang had perforce to stand still. Bao Yu, perceiving what transpired between them, fell unwittingly in a Tao reverie. He then at length got an insight into the deep import of the tracing of the character Chang, but unable to bear the audio any longer, he forthwith took himself out of the way. So absorbed, however, was Jia Chang's whole mind with Ling Guan that he could not even give a thought to escorting anyone, and it was, in fact, the rest of the singing girls who saw Bao Yu out. Bao Yu's heart was gnawed with doubts and conjectures. In an imbecile frame of mind, he came to the Yi Hong court. Lin Da Yu was, at the moment, sitting with Zhe Ren and chatting with her. As soon as Bao Yu entered his quarters, he addressed himself to Zhe Ren with a long sigh. I was very wrong in what I said yesterday evening, he remarked. It's no matter of surprise that father says that I am so narrow-minded that I look at things through a tube and measure them with a clam shell. I mentioned something last night about having nothing but tears shed by all of you girls to be buried in. But this was a mere delusion, so as I can't guess the tears of the whole lot of you. Each one of you can henceforward keep her own for herself, and have done. Jaren had flattered herself that the words he had uttered the previous evening amounted to idle talk, and she had long ago dispelled all thought of them from her mind. But when Bao Yu unawares made further allusion to them, she smilingly rejoined, You are verily somewhat cracked. 
Pao Yu kept silent and attempted to make no reply. Yet from this time he fully apprehended that the lot of human affections is in every instance subject to predestination, and time and again he was wont to secretly muse with much anguish, who, I wonder, will shed tears for me at my burial. Lin Yu, for we will now allude to her, noticed Pao Yu's behavior, but readily concluding that he must have been, somewhere or other, once more possessed by some benignant spirit, she did not feel it advisable to ask many questions. I just saw, she consequently observed, my maternal aunt, who, hearing that tomorrow is Miss Sher's birthday, bade me come at my convenience to ask you whether you will go or not, and to tell you to send someone ahead to let them know what you mean to do. I didn't go the other day when it was Mr. Jia She's birthday, so I won't go now, Bao Yu answered. If it is a matter of meeting anyone, I won't go anywhere. On a hot day like this to again don my ceremonial dress? No, I won't go. Aunt is not likely to feel displeased with me. What are you driving at? Jiren speedily ventured. She couldn't be put on the same footing as our senior master. She lives close by here. Besides, she's a relative. Why? If you don't go, won't you make her imagine things? Well, if you dread the heat, just get up at an early hour and go over and prostrate yourself before her and come back again after you've had a cup of tea. Won't this look well? Before Pao Yu had time to say anything by way of response, Da Yu anticipated him. You should, she smiled, go as far as there for the sake of her, who drives the mosquitoes away from you. Pao Yu could not make out a drift of her insinuation. What about driving mosquitoes away? He vehemently inquired. Zhe then explained to him how while he was fast asleep the previous day, and no one was about to keep him company, Miss Bao Chai had sat with him for a while. It shouldn't have been done, Bao Yu promptly exclaimed, after hearing her explanations. But how did I manage to go to sleep and show such utter discourtesy to her? I must go tomorrow, he then went on to add. But while these words were still on his lips, he unexpectedly caught sight of Xin Xiangyun walk in in full dress to bid them adieu, as she said that someone had been sent from her home to fetch her away. The moment Pao Yu and Dai Yu heard what was the object of her visit, they quickly rose to their feet and pressed her to take a seat. But Xi Xiangyun would not sit down. So Pao Yu and Dai Yu were compelled to escort her as far as the front part of the mansion. Xi Xiangyun's eyes were brimming with tears. But realizing that several people from her home were present, she did not have the courage to give full vent to her feelings. But when shortly Bao Chai ran over to find her, she felt so much the more drawn towards them that she could not brook to part from them. Bao Chai, however, inwardly understood that if her people told her aunt anything on their return 
there would again be every fear of her being blown up as soon as she got back home, and she therefore urged her to start on her way. One and all then walked with her up to the second gate, and Pao Yu wished to accompany her still further outside, but Xi Sheng Yun deterred him. Presently, they turned to go back, but once more she called Pao Yu to her, and whispered to him in a soft tone of voice, Should our venerable senior not think of me, you do often allude to me, so that she should depute someone to fetch me. Pao Yu time after time assured her that he would comply with her wishes, and having followed her with their eyes while she got into her curricle and started, they eventually retraced their steps towards the inner compound. But reader, if you like to follow up the story, peruse the details contained in the chapter below. End of section 23